As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that what I decided? I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here as always with my guy Fred Katz on the East Coast. Fred, you got company on the East Coast, brother. I am looking at the one and only Eric Kareen here on our Zoom link. Raptors extraordinaire beat writer. We have not had you on the show for a while. Eric, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? We are good. We are good, Fred. I, th- I don't want to speak for you. Are we giving a big thumbs up, Fred? I'm just fantastic. I'm lovely. That's all you got? This is the topper. Let's get it. Energy. Let's go. I'm wonderful. I'm being <laughs> I I am around a a a a native Canadian, which just brings a natural joy and kindness to this podcast that we normally don't have with just three angry Americans all the time. So I think this is, I think this is beautiful. I love Toronto. Sure. I love Eric. I'm, I'm thrilled to be podcasting with him. Not as much with you. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> not sure too. I'm the best representative for a polite, you know, friendly <laughs> Canadian, but I'll, I'll do what I can to fulfill the stereotype. That's true. So you, so you Americans don't have to bend your worldview whatsoever. <laughs> deal, deal with nuance. I, I will do what I can. A. Eh? <laughs> okay, if you don't like Eric Sass, just go listen to Smartlist. They're much kinder when they uh, they frame the the Canadian perspective. Eric, it's great to have you, man. Um, we were joking off air about, uh, although this is on brand, we uh, naturally we talked a little bit of weather because you came my way on the West Coast in California and got some of that sunshine. Uh, but let's dive into the the hoop side as much as we love you and 
and want to find out how life is going. On the basketball side, my guy, your Raptors uh, are on fire. And so what we're going to talk about today, my one of my favorite parts of the pod, admittedly, Fred, is that as I try to canvas the league and keep track of everything, we end up having guests on where I have to just admit like, damn, I lost track of X and X team and they are doing this. And how in the hell are they doing that? And, and Toronto for me has been one where every time you look up, they're just not struggling like we thought they were going to this year. And Pascal Siakam never got traded. And, you know, certain guys are going down, OG and Fred Van Vliet, and they continue doing their thing. So we are going to talk all things Raptors, but we are also going to broaden the scope and talk about some Rookie of the Year race today. Obviously, Scotty Barnes is a big part of that. Um, so that is the vast majority of the show. Maybe on the back end, dive into some stuff that I put out there today about Chris Paul and his return with the Suns and a Giannis interview I had. So that is the uh, the outline for today's conversation. But Eric, let's go big picture with the Raptors. Um, hit the rewind button a little bit for me. And just go back to the off season, the brief off season, um, and and just what kind of expectations did you have as Masai Ujiri and this group figured out what lay ahead? Now, obviously, Masai, we didn't know his future if you went to the end of last season. So, you know, give us the cliff notes there: expectations versus the reality. Now, I mean, I think it was reasonable to predict they would fight for one of those play-in spots. Um, but this wasn't a team that was going to go all in on this season. Uh, and, you know, the draft, the, the lottery lock and and moving up from, I think, seventh or eighth to get the fourth pick and, you know, the controversial at the time pick of Scotty Barnes, which we'll get into, uh, combined with, you know, the Tampa tank, as Masai Ujiri uh, <laughs> mistakenly, you could see he said it at a recent press conference and that instantly regretted saying the T word. Um, I'm definitely, if uh, that's a Netflix documentary, I'm definitely watching that. Tampa yeah. Tank. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot of uh, Malachi Flynn and uh, Aaron Baines involved. You <laughs> uh, can see the six-man rotation in the last game of the year against the Indiana Pacers last year. Just, just stuff that we obviously all remember but want to dive into <laughs> deeper detail. Right. Um, but yeah, this was a team that I sort of thought was likely to finish in the ninth or tenth spot, and and probably, you know, my guess would have been losing in the play-in. And and I think consensus. Well, Vegas had them at like thirty-six and a half wins, and they've already surpassed that. And they've spoken. You know, it was clear they were going to play a certain style, a, a hyper aggressive defense, trying to push. You know, cause turnovers and 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 win the possession battle. And what's really surprised me is like the extremes to which they go to do that, how hard they crash the offensive glass. Uh, we're talking on, on Monday and they just like made Philly look silly and lazy uh, on, on Sunday night and, and winning that game. Uh, but to see them nine games over 500 in, in what's a pretty difficult conference, uh, despite them like, losing every game they should win and then winning every game they should lose. It's been like a wild route to where they are, but on the whole, they're definitely exceeding expectations. And, and you know, Barnes is probably one of the most significant reasons for that. But also, Pascal Siakam's been great. Like yeah. He's been, you know, he has a legitimate all-NBA case, uh, which we can get into a bit, I wrote at The Athletic today. Uh, but this team just has a very firm identity and delivers that, 
except when they're playing every night except when they're playing the Pistons. Fred, real quick before you jump in, the meat and potatoes here, forty and thirty one overall, and then after a somewhat slow start since December thirty first, um twenty six and fourteen, you know, tenth best net rating in the league. It's top ten anything uh, for that length of time is impressive. Uh, how have you seen all of this unfolding, Fred? You know, it's really interesting about that stretch. So they st- they're 14 and 17 on December 31st. And like you said, 26 and 14 since in those 40 games that they've gone 26 and 14, 23 of them have been within five points with two or fewer minutes to go. Like they are the ultimate holy crap, turn on the Raptors game. It's getting crazy down the wire with four minutes left sort of team. Uh, if, 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 if there's like a team, That's you're a flipping- much longer tagline than Tampa tank, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a team you're flipping to the most when you're just scanning around league pass with three and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, like this is the team. So Eric, I, I, I wanted to ask you, like they've, they've played so many close games over this stretch. They're only 17th in offense and they're 17th in defense over this stretch. Like how, how on fire do you consider them right now? Given that context, do you think they're legitimately doing something in crunch time that that is that is actually going to pay off in the long term are they are they winning these these close games and and that's kind of it and we're they're not really a 26 and 14 team like which version of the raptors is the real version of the raptors well the biggest concern that you should have about the raptors is their half court offense which makes those crunch time numbers even more surprising because, you know, we sort of think that crunch time equals slower playoff type basketball. But it, it's, you know, I don't have the pace numbers and the Raptors aren't a high pace team anyway, but they really don't get, they don't conform to a certain way that basketball should be played at a certain time of the game. And so they're still causing all these turnovers in the final five minutes and creating these easy buckets that they need because they just, you know, beyond Siakam playmaking and beyond Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent, depending on on what day it is, like they don't have much natural shooting, scoring talent, uh, to to put it probably too simplistically. Um, So I think there's certainly a little bit of late game luck and I think against the more polished offensive teams especially the ones with you know really super talented ISO scorers um, they're going to perhaps struggle or or they're certainly going to throw some of those Nick Nursian traps or odd defenses just to try and get the ball out of his hands uh, which they did it in the surprise win in Phoenix they the last two meaningful or not the last two but late in the fourth quarter after not blitzing uh devin booker i almost called him trevor booker that that would have been good uh after not blitzing devin booker all game they sent blitzes at him and they caused turnovers and that was four points for them and in a one possession game that's huge and so i don't think i think this team probably is not as good as their clutch record and that 26 and 14 record indicates but these reps will allow them to be more comfortable not playing a certain way in those minutes in the playoffs, uh, which will also be comf- uh, important because, you know, you don't want your team to freeze to a moment and sort of bend to 
orthodoxy when they're not suited to play that way. Yeah, the turn the turnovers are really interesting because they have like, I mean, the, the personnel is. I mean, we talk about Nick Nurse's this guy who is is great at just kind of molding his strategies to whomever he's going up against and whatever his personnel is, right? And the length that they have defensively with Siakam and with Barnes and with Ananobi and with the way Van Vliet fights is just crazy. And you mentioned the pace. Like, what's crazy about the pace stuff with them is that overall they play slow because they're so slow in the half court and because their defense can be really stifling, which brings down the pace. But after they force turnovers, they have the eighth fastest offense in the league after forcing turnovers. And they have the sixth fastest offense in the league after getting defensive rebounds and getting stops. So it's like the the way that they can turn their gear when they actually get a stop and when they get a turnover is like it's like no other juxtaposition in the league. It's just like how how do you think that that turns over to you talk about like crunch time? Like how do you think that turns over to playoff basketball? Yeah, I mean, it's a wild card. And like last week, I wrote how weird the Raptors are and how it doesn't really make sense the games they win or the games they lose. There's sort of no figuring them out, especially in the context of a regular season. We were joking off air about like how good their record is on the road or in front of a mostly empty or totally empty Scotiabank Arena. And then the record in front of a full home crowd is pretty bad. It's something like four and nine or something like that. Uh, you know, so after the year where you don't play at home at all, they come back to all this, you know, excitement and they're actually terrible at home in front of a full crowd. Uh, but that's just my way of saying, you know, predicting how this plays out is sort of a fool's errand, I think a little bit. I, I tend to bet on talent and tend to think the, you know, the better teams will be able to, in the bigger moments where everybody is, you know, there's no sort of mental or emotional slippage, like the playoffs are such a different breed in that way. And I truly believe that having, you know, covered many playoff runs, you know, the best teams sharpen, definitely sharpen. Uh, and the scouting for what the Raptors, the, the myriad things the Raptors like to do will be so much more in depth that there should be better preparation. So I think that would be my worry, but that they can't as regularly create those turnovers that fuel their offense. Um, So I I would think that would take a bit of a hit, but again, as you said, like they're built so, so differently in terms of being able to put five, six, nine, six, eight dudes on the floor that it's tough to throw a skip pass. It's tough to throw the next pass. Like, like forget about throwing it across the court. It's tough to sometimes, you know, throw it from the corner to the elbow. So, uh, you know, it's, it's easier said than done to say, oh, it's, you know, it's the playoffs. Teams will figure it out. Like, I think ultimately that will happen, but it's not going to be you know, it's going to take a lot of crispness from whoever their opposition winds up being. Eric, one of the guys who has plenty of length and who I uh, would love to highlight for a moment here before we get to the, the Scotty Barnes experience is Pascal. Um, you know, I mentioned the trade deadline earlier and around the league, of course, if you go back to last summer, people thought maybe he'd be on the move. Then you get to the deadline. People thought maybe he'd be on the move. Like you said, had a fantastic year. I just looked at it here, you know, 22 eight and five puts him in pretty 
rarefied air for this season. LeBron, Giannis, Luka, Jokic, and Pascal are the only players hitting those marks. Um, how has he navigated all of this? Because I, the sense I got, I think I wrote about it in the summer, was that it was kind of like, all right, even though the outside world might be assuming that Pascal is looking for a new challenge, that, that he had a lot of personal affection for uh, the organization, for you know the Raptors, what they accomplished together a couple of years ago, and that he wasn't ready to turn the new page necessarily. And, and so they obviously have stuck with this thing. Where is that at? Yeah, so there's the emotional and mental aspect of it. And he's talked a lot about trying not to get caught up in the negative or the losses. And he said he wasn't always so good at that. And he's really improved and, and just learned, you know, when they lose a game or when he has a bad game, you move on. And, you know, how much, unless you can, you know, dig into a player's soul and, and true feelings, you really don't know how that, um, how how true that is, but you know, I, I I do lend some credence to what he's saying there. I think he's certainly matured and as a as a leader and just emotionally riding the highs and lows of an 82 game season. But on the court, it's been almost, you know, it's been more interesting to me because when you think about his other best stretch of basketball in his career, that's probably, you know, the beginning of that pre-bubble, let's say, 2019-2020, before uh, the hiatus. And he was, like, popping threes off the dribble, like, at two and a half per game pull-up threes. He's down to a half a pull-up three per game. So he's almost completely eschewed that from his game. And his basically his playmaking has gone way up. His usage percentage has has gone down a few points and he's just, you know, he's as much as Fred Van Vliet, he's the point guard of this team. Uh, and you wouldn't necessarily think that could work because as I mentioned, the Raptors aren't swimming in three-point shooting, although now that Precious Achua is an elite shooting guard in the league, uh, maybe that's that's no longer the case. Um, but he his reading of those situations of playing not only as a drive and kick guy, but as a playmaker out of the post, of seeing where the help has come from, is so much so much more advanced to where he was, even at his best a few seasons ago. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly the defensive schemes fit into what he's good at. You know, his, his length makes him, you know, obviously an elite helper in terms of trapping, in terms of blitzing, but also in terms of, you know, recovering to to three-point shooters when the team does, when the opposition does move around, uh, move the ball around, whatever the Raptors are trying to do aggressively. Him flying at you is, you know, probably only second to Chris Boucher coming flying at you and trying to contest a shot. So he's so integral to what the Raptors try to do defensively, uh, but offensively, just a much better feel for how defenses are playing him, what they're looking to avoid. And and I think also there's a bit of, you know, his touch around the rim just seems a lot better than it seemed in, you know, certainly last year and even a year before. And uh, what do we attribute to that? Reps, I, you know, that's, that's sort of the secret sauce, hard to quantify a bit but he he's just so much more comfortable because of all those factors and how much does Kyle Lowry's absence and his like clear ascension as a 1A 1B with Van Vliet have to do with it 
not sure. I, I don't think that's particularly important, but uh, he, this is the most comfortable and the best I've ever seen him play. No, it's been amazing. Um, all right, let's dive into Mr. Barnes. Uh, you you kind of mentioned at the top that the draft order itself was certainly controversial back when it happened. Um, you know, and, and to remind the listeners here, we go Cade Cunningham first overall to Detroit, Jalen Green, who a lot of folks thought was going to run away with that Rookie of the Year award just based on opportunity. That's certainly not been the case. Uh, at number two, the Cavs pick up big man Evan Mobley, who's been fantastic. And then your Raptors get Scotty Barnes. Um, I think we did talk about this at the time, but it's been a while. Just put into words the local reaction when that pick was taken uh, and Jalen Suggs and the fact that he went at, at five after Scotty was certainly a point of contention in some circles, um, you know, just then and now again, you know, as you unpack uh, considering everything that's happened since then. Well, you have to remember, this was the Raptors' first lottery pick since 2012 when they took Terrence Ross eighth, um, which also caused a lot of consternation at the time, picking him ahead of Andre Drummond. Uh, And their first sort of top half lottery pick since 2011 when they took Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, So this, there was a lot of, and after such a disappointing year and, and all the free agents who had left, this was a clear pivot point. For the Raptors, it was sort of their big hope to reset things on the right draft, on the right track. And when you're told pretty consistently, although I'll say if you look at individual draft experts like our Sam Vecini, John Hollinger was really high on Scotty Barnes. But when you're told consistently that the general consensus is there is a top four uh can't, there's there are four top candidates and then there is a drop off and that's what we were, what we were being told for sure we were told that in in it was probably Cade Cunningham and then it was the next three it was Green, uh, Mobley, and Jalen Suggs in some order and so Raptors fans naturally got excited about that they got excited about after it looked like Suggs was probably likely to follow to the rap fall to the Raptors, and we all saw what an amazing tournament he had with Gonzaga last year. So many memorable moments, including that game against UCLA. It's like, all right, we've got our, you know, backcourt of the future and Van Vliet and Jalen Suggs with, you know, Suggs has a size to defend. You know, he's a real, you know, point of attack defender and, you know, clutch big time shot maker. So when this sort of do-it-all guy, uh, you know, for the lack of you know, a better term, another six foot nine with a seven foot two wingspan forward who can't really shoot. Uh, you know, the Raptors draft another one of those after having, you who know, can defend, but he's a rookie. So how yeah, long yeah. is that going to take? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was hard to know what to expect. And so, so that's sort of what the reaction was at the time. I don't know if you want to frame the question about what we've seen since then, but that was sort of, the, I think, the yeah. overwhelming immediate reaction. No, you framed it well, and I'm going to hit the pause button real quickly. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk about the impact he has made and where he lands in this Rookie of the Year race. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, gentlemen, let's keep it rolling. So, Eric, you kind of set it on the stage perfectly, um, but, you know, expectations and frustration from some of the fans over the summer, and then since then, he's he's obviously just been a massive part of what they've been able to do. Fred, you know, I'm a sucker for always just trying to see where each of these guys lands production-wise, and I mentioned Siakam and what he was doing, so Scotty is 15-7-3. and three. There's 20 guys in the league doing that. Um, that's fairly elite company, especially for a rookie. That's 20 players, period, not 20 rookies. Um, you, know, you know, you'd try to capture, if you don't mind, the, uh, the way he's played and the, the part that he's played in this Raptor story. Yeah. I mean, he's been, I think the greatest surprise for me with him and Evan Mobley, by the way, is that, and Sam, you kind of touched on it. Rookies are almost never good defensively. Even rookies who become excellent, all defense caliber defenders are usually not good defensively when they're actually rookies. It takes a while for a guy to just learn the speed of the game, to learn NBA terminology, and even just to like, part of being a really good defender is the experience that you have. Oh, okay, this guy roasted me with that move last time I played him, so I know he likes to go with that, that move mental against file. Me. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I remember yeah. it. Now when he tries but to go to that to move. do it. Exactly. Now when he tries to go to that move. I know how to defend this. I I know how he does it. I've I've gone through it and and now I can do it better a second time. It's just very intuitive stuff like that. And rookies naturally just don't have those moments. They they the hardest thing that any rookie says to learn is the speed of the game and I think that's more affected defensively than it is offensively. And and the fact that Scotty Barnes is is even though he is long and he is athletic and he is active and all of those things the fact that he's this good defensively for them, uh, and 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 look, he's built into a really solid system with other really good defenders because Ananobi's freaking awesome, and Siakam's really good, and Van Vliet's really good. But like the fact that he is is this bothersome defensively to me is like like Eric, how 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 surprised are the Raptors by that? Did they expect him to just kind of take off running at this level? Well, like you said. Uh, it's so rare for a rookie to do this defensively. And and I think because that's the Raptors' identity, it, it's maybe what he's done on that end is slightly overrated. Like, he is, I think he's really good on the interior as a help guy or as, as just, you know, a one-on-one defender. I think you can see his, you know relative weaknesses trying to guard the perimeter. I, I think his he probably needs to learn to get into a lower stance. But, you know, if you're asking me what will be his extra, his ideal utilization ultimately as a defender, I, you know, not, not comparing levels, just comparing types. I, I think he's more of like a Draymond Green directing traffic, you know, snuffing out stuff on the back end versus a, you know, Mikel Bridges locking up a guy on the perimeter. I think, like, 
that would be my best guess about how he would be best utilized. But to be able to do that, you know, arguably the the back end stuff is more complicated, right? Like, uh, and you really have to know where all your help is and, and what you're leaving and what you're what you're taking care of. And to be able to do that stuff is amazing. I I almost think the bigger surprise is what he's done offensively. Like his, you know, there were jokes about him being uh, I forgot who said it about being a zero level scorer. <laughs> coming out of college and you know i'm not going to sit here and say it all looks natural but he gets to his hook shot he gets to a little floater and his touch off the rim for a quote-unquote non-shooter and and he has had some stretches not consistent but he's had some stretches of some decent three-point shooting but his touch off the rim his ability is his use of the glass as well it, it seems if not elite it's certainly burgeoning um, and, you know, the way that the Raptors tend to develop shooters uh, can only make you think that part of his game is going to uh, going to evolve positively. So I think, you know, figuring out what to do with him offensively and him figuring out how to get himself involved, even when he hasn't been involved in the main actions, has been really, really valuable for his overall development because i think as i'm not going to name names here but as as we've learned with some stars in the league this year if you don't learn how to play off the ball it could be problematic <laughs> later in your eric career. we don't I, we don't keep names out in this pod it's um, okay to talk about russell westbrook yeah scotty barnes will never be a problem i i don't want to say that you know careers can go a lot of ways but Scotty Barnes has learned how to play off the ball despite not having a reliable three-point shot yet. And what will be interesting in the future is how he develops, you know, in the pick and roll on both, as both the screener and the handler. Uh, and he's already, his passing is just awesome. So to see him develop his handle, it's going to be really exciting to watch. Eric, I don't know which player that I cover slash have covered that you're referring to. I don't know if you're talking about Russell Westbrook or Julius Randle or, right. or what we're talking about here, but, but, but from now on, we're going to need some names. Uh, this, the segue was right there for the taking though. Cause I was going to mention when the Raptors, fell to Russell Westbrook's Lakers in overtime <laughs> that, uh, you know, you mentioned the offense and some of the surprise on that end, you know, Scotty gives him 31 on 14 of 21 shooting 17 boards, six assists, even got the, uh, kind of the hat tip from the King post game when LeBron James talked about how he knew that Scotty had this in his bag, you know, and that's the number two scorer of all time telling you that. So, you know, he's got everybody's attention. Let's pull it back uh, a little bit guys and talk about, his rookie of the year competition on the other side of this break. I'm going to get break number two in here real quick. And then we're going to talk about who uh, he's up against in this race. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids and Honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. 
Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions Apply. All right, Jen. So Scotty's got, I think, a very good shot at rookie of the year, but it's it's a it's a pretty decent field, and it's not the field that, like I said earlier, that we thought we were going to have this year. Funny how that tends to happen almost every year when we think we know what guys are going to do. Um, Fred, let me throw it to you. I feel like you, uh, you know, I, I gave you the topics. Well, that's not true. I was going to say early enough that you are always well, very well researched, and I know you got the thoughts listeners here. Don't know that I know that I just constantly <laughs> hound you for topics on what are we doing topics, topics, and that I just text you out of nowhere now topics in all caps it's, and a it's bunch a, of it's a testament marks. to how you know serious you are about the job and to to my weird you know I'm going to call it creativity as opposed to. You know, not as well researched. I, I'm going like to start like crushing th- up Adderall and putting it in your morning coffee on Saturdays. Think about last week. So last week we had a great talk about great Celtics <laughs> discussion that happened at the 11th hour. You know, as we scrambled to get somebody on the show, but no rookie of the year landscape. Um, I don't want to lead the conversation any particular direction. Who for you right now is the rookie of the year? Do you have clarity on the answer to that question? Yeah. So I, I mean, I Barnes would be in my top two. Uh, but but I think Evan Mobley is in the lead right now, if only because we talk about defense amongst rookies, and Mobley's defense is just so ahead of schedule to such an outrageous degree that I think it's impossible to ignore. Like I, I think, I don't know, I'd have to run through it and really do out my all-defense teams, but I, I think if you're talking Maybe about... Maybe if I gave you the topics earlier, you could have done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think like there, there are always like 15, 20 guys that you can mention about getting one of the 10 all defense spots because it's just it's subjective and it's it's really difficult to really, truly grade somebody's defense to such a nuanced level from the outside. But like 
Evan Mobley's been so good that I think you can argue him onto one of the all-defense teams reasonably. I mean, just extraordinary rim protection. I think he's been better guarding the perimeter. He's been an unbelievable team defender. Outrageous just helping from the weak side. I mean, Eric Barnes has been incredible on that weak side. One one guy, you mentioned him as a Draymond kind of type potentially one day in terms of just his archetype. I think there's a little bit of, of Giannis there as well. Not in terms of just like the freakishness, but just in terms of the role you're going to use him as. Like him as a weak side defender, just bothering penetrators and, and shooters at the rim. It's like he is incredible at that. And uh, and Mobley is is already just extraordinary at that kind of stuff. And, and I think... You know, Mobley's passing as well. Like, you know, Sam, you mentioned averaging 15, 7, and 3. It's like Mobley is averaging 15, 7, and 2.6 assists. Right. You know, like right, he's right. like... 15, 8. Yeah. He's 8.3 on the board. Sure. I was going to say, I mean, he's leading, leading all rookies in rebounding, leading all rookies in blocks, 1.7. Um, and yeah, 15.2 from the field, 50.5% overall. So he's right there when it comes to uh, to what Scotty's been doing as well. Yeah, and him him Barnes and and Franz Wagner who I'd have in my number 3 spot, like they all have they all have incredibly similar numbers. The the efficiencies are extremely similar. They're all around league average efficiency uh and basically any efficiency stat you want to look at. Uh and 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 so I I I think uh you know the advanced numbers on Mobley's defense, you look at the the RPMs and all that stuff. They're just totally outrageous. Just things you don't see in rookies. So so I'm throwing Mobley number one, but this is a ridiculous rookie class. Like normally, like I've been a voter the last three years and normally the one I hate doing most of all the awards is, is the all rookie team because you get to your second team all rookie and you're just like, I don't care about any of you. (laughs) None of you deserve to be here. Why is there a second team all rookie anyway? And, And I'm running through it this year and I'm like, there are 17 guys I'd have to look at for second team. All first or second team all rookie. It's like there there are a lot of really good rookies this year. Like it's 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 hard for the opposite reason this year. Whoever feels like grabbing this question, I, I the the one name I think the listeners are gonna be chewing on that wasn't on your list, Fred, is Cade Cunningham. He's come on really strong in the second half. Obviously, top overall pick, and and has shown the Pistons some of that promise that had them excited about taking him. Um, but how do you guys see Cade's candidacy? His case is so different, right? Like in Mobley and Barnes, who I think will probably end up one, two, um, they're, you know, average usage guys exceeding defense, succeeding defensively at levels you don't expect for a rookie and showing some sort of poise and passing ability that again is sort of beyond what most rookies do. And Cade Cunningham's season is such a more traditional rookie of the year or just like, you know, prime rookie season, which is okay, I'm on this terrible team, except when we play the Raptors. Um, and I'm in this, you know, I, I think his usage is something around 27% or 28%, which, you know, just blows by the three rookies that Fred mentioned at the top of his ballot. And the beginning of his season, A, first he was injured, and second, he was clearly recovering from that injury and not himself. So, like, he has the box score stats, 
but he doesn't have the underlying metrics because specifically because he's not on as stable and as good of a team as Barnes and Mobley. And I think, you know, I haven't broken down his impact stats by month. Uh, You know, certainly the numbers he's putting up and the times I've seen him against the Raptors and in select, I must confess, I don't watch a whole lot of Pistons basketball uh, when I don't have to, but just read James Edwards, make sure you do that. Yeah, no, I I do that reliably. He James rules. Um, But he certainly looks to me like a future foundational piece for an offense as well as having some pretty good defensive instincts but like the case is just like it's hard to wrap your head around how like we talk about how different most improved player cases are so often but like to say Barnes and Mobley are over here and Cade Cunningham is over here and to really compare them it's almost, you know, it messes with your mind because they're trying to do completely different things for completely different reasons. Uh, so I think he's been, the, the to sum up a really long-winded answer, he's been getting progressively better as the season goes on. I think he's justifying that first pick as the season goes on. I wouldn't be surprised to see him as a, you know, consistent all-star, all-NBA type guy. Uh, you know, three or four years down the line, but it's just such a different case that he's not For sure. on the right side of uh, this year. Yeah, it's, you mentioned usage. He's 26.9, leading all rookies in usage. You know, it's funny, interesting. Number two, Bones Highland from the Nuggets, another guy had oh, a good year. I love That Bones. dude he, lets it fly. He yeah. is on my all vibes team. I love that guy. <laughs> when he, oh my God, if your name is Bones, you just have to be the most confident guy out there. And my my God, does he live up to it. He it's is funny, so uh, fun to watch. Oh man. For sure. I was going to say, you guys remember that old book, Freakonomics? It, it was yeah. back in the day. They studied, it was a lot of sociolog- sociological stuff about names and the impact it has on confidence and like you said fred names that either make or break you and then bones is living up to that name um amazing life story people with the nuggets love him yeah no, but they, he's he was one great. of my 17 that i think you'd have to consider throwing onto second team all rookie well as we try to pepper a little love elsewhere here on the rookie front guys that are not going to be on anybody's short list and i know i have uh sacramento bias because of where i live you know, Davion Mitchell is a guy that last night, 28 points, nine assists against the Suns. Um, you know, once they made that trade for Sabonis and, uh, you know, kind of changed the the uh, landscape on the wings for them with Buddy Heald going out, Davion's been pretty good. And, and even, even just one night at the gym, watching him try to lock up Devin Booker unsuccessfully, but giving it to him as a rookie, it's fun to see these young guys being legit and not being pushed around. Uh, my favorite moment of that game, you had to watch closely, but when Booker hits the right baseline jumper, Kobe style, to tie that thing up late in regulation, uh, I'm not an expert lip reader, but it was something along the lines of Devin looking at Davion and saying, sit your ass down, take that. Like they were getting into each other. Uh, and it kind of goes to all these guys, Scotty and Evan, where the vets are not really used to having to sit up straight in their chair to deal with these rookies. You know what I mean? Yeah, no question. I mean, this entire rookie class, and look, it's it's rookie of the year. It's not rookie of the second half. It's right. not it's not best prospect. It's not a prospect ranking. 
So I don't, you know, when we when I talked about Cade not being in my top three, it's just you know second half the last ten games he's he's averaging twenty two eight and six, right. sent out fifty three percent true shooting. Those are ridiculous numbers, and he's been excellent. And he's an unbelievable rebounding guard. He uses his height amazingly. He's he's already a really good passer. He's he's scoring well. Like he is going to be excellent. It's just the slow start counts for something. Uh, right. But there are so many guys in this class who are going to be good. Like Herb Jones is really good. Oh, oh baby, Herb. Herb <laughs> Jones is good. <laughs> That's hey, Andrew, super producer Andrew Schleck. Can we can we have that little soundbite right there? Oh baby, Herb. <laughs> <laughs> Herb Jones is say, good. Like these these guys who we didn't even like like Josh Giddy is good. And we knew. Yes, that thank you. Josh Andrew's Giddey. going crazy here, yeah. listening to this pod, and we haven't mentioned his guy Josh Giddy out in jo- Oklahoma is City. Is Josh Giddy still the undefeated Western Conference Rookie of the Month? Like, I, I think he'd won it each of the first four months. Oh, uh, producer Andrew says he is. Um, <laughs> so, cannot be toppled. We haven't even discussed <laughs> Franz Wagner. Like, how good do we think Franz Wagner is going to be? Like, you he, mentioned him, but yeah, we didn't get into it. Yeah, I mean, like, because he's, I, I think he's number three. So he's, he's basically putting up similar numbers just in terms of just like the counting stats that you want fifteen a game on basically the same efficiency as as Mobley and Barnes. He's, he's got blow up, you know, blow up ability as a scorer. He had thirty eight the other night, which I'm, I'm pretty sure, and it was against Milwaukee. It wasn't against no one. Uh, I'm. I'm pretty sure that's the most a rookie has scored in a single game this season. The jump shot is like farther along than than it seemed to be last year at Michigan. You can do stuff off the dribble. Pretty good passer. Like that's I think that's a good pick. How good do we? You think know what's you cool be? too, Fred? To build off that is that I'm sitting here looking at the whole draft, and and who knows? It's only one year. It doesn't feel like. I mean, there's so many guys year in and year out where you wind up looking back and saying, damn, they just, they didn't even put a career together. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like there's going to be much of that in this one. Jalen Suggs is super talented. I mean, not Jalen, I'm sorry. I was thinking about Jalen Green. Um, Even with the Warriors, you know, Jonathan Kaminga has got one of those tricky challenges of being on a very good team. And so it's taken longer. He's got to get Steve Kerr's trust, but he has moments where you go, man, he might be top three in this draft when it's all said and done. They might need him in the playoffs. Like yeah. they, they like might need somebody with that skill set and that sort of big playability in the playoffs. And even like their other pick, Moses Moody, is really coming along too. Like I, I think, like you said, there aren't going to be a bunch of you know whiffs that we're making fun of in in a few years. Right. Like even Suggs, who you know, went fifth and had a, you know, very slow offensive start to the season. He's really solid defensively and he's coming along. And it just happens that like Wagner has sort of taken his place as the more central offensive rookie on that team. But I, I, I still like Suggs a lot. So Eric, I admittedly don't, I'm, I'm using this pod to just, you know, to further educate myself on rookie of the year. So I don't have my opinion set in stone. And I wonder for you though, do you, uh, do you have clarity on how you plan on voting? Well, a I, I don't know if I have a vote, okay. um, but or how you see uh, it? Yeah, yeah. I think I go. I agree with Fred in that the tiebreaker right now is that while Scotty Barnes is a very good defender, uh, Evan Mobley is already a you know I hate this word. 
um, in discussions. He's an elite defender in the NBA already. And that's on a consistent every game basis. And with Jared Allen out, we've seen, you know, how he can sort of transform that na- the nature of his defense to making an impact in the ways that he doesn't necessarily have to when Jared Allen is out there. Um, so I think he has the edge right now, but I do wonder if there will be a bit of status quo bias because I think like he's been the justifiable leader for most of the season, but Barnes is really coming on strong now. He's been a huge part, especially post-All-Star. He was sort of, you know, cliche rookie walling it into the All-Star break. He's exceeded 20 points in a bunch of games since the all, since then. He had that huge game in the Lakers loss. Um, he had a huge game against Denver um, on the winning at altitude on a back-to-back in, in one of the Raptors' more unlikely wins of the season. He's just making big plays and is not scared of the moment at all. And I do wonder if it might even end up being tied to the six, uh, who gets into the playoffs and who has to, you know, go through the play-in tournament. Uh, I wonder if that ends up being a tiebreaker for some people uh, because they're doing very, very similar things. Uh, So Mobley, you know, Mobley has the edge for me, but at one point I thought he was uncatchable. And now I think like, if people have made up their minds, I think, you know, at the very least, take a long look before the end of the season once again, because I think Barnes has earned that type of care about the vote. What an unusual rookie of the year race where you're like, whoever makes the playoffs could end <laughs> yeah. up getting yeah. it. Like, it's normally the opposite. It's normally exactly. just like the dude. It's You're right. It's normally the Cade Cunningham. Just so many rookies who are doing winning stuff this year. It's it's but it is nice, like you said earlier, that we haven't even, even talked about Dasunmu on uh totally on Chicago. Z- Zara Williams yeah. on uh Memphis. On Memphis. Yeah. Like they there are a lot of rookies who are doing winning Seven. stuff. Hey, Herb Jones. Start, <laughs> starting most of the season on, on on New Orleans as they start to play really good basketball. Love Herb. Perimeter no defender doubt. in their starting lineup. Guys, good stuff on Rookie of the Year front. Let's pivot to one final segment here before we let Eric get on with his day. You knew too, Freddie. Um, Tales from the gym, I guess I'll call it. Just news around the league and, and curious to get your guys' thoughts real quick. I, I mentioned off air I had a bunch of heavy hitter teams come through my neck of the woods this week. Just saw Chicago, Milwaukee, Boston, and Phoenix. Uh, so on the Phoenix front, Sunday afternoon game against the Kings, uh, ran into some intel about Chris Paul, was a little surprised to, to hear the mood around the team that essentially, no clarity exactly on when he's coming back yet, but it's like, damn, he's definitely coming back on the front end of this timeline, if not even sooner than what they had initially put out. He had that right thumb fracture right before the All-Star break, and when they put out that it was a six to eight week timeline, then you just glance at the calendar and you start going, oh boy, like this might be mid first round, late first round. And then when it comes to the reigning Western conference champs, you're wondering, you know, could they be in trouble and getting knocked off early in the playoffs because of losing their guy that I think, you know, is uh we, we argue this a lot on the show, Eric, but you know, I, I do think is the most valuable guy on their team. Um, now you're talking about the potential for him 
maybe even getting back before the five-week mark. Uh, April 3rd is six weeks, and uh, and I even had you know some folks acting like, don't be shocked if he decides to roll it out there on Wednesday night against Minnesota, which I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. So just thoughts in general about the Suns. They go 10-4 and four without Chris Paul and just keep rolling. I think third net rating, elite basketball without a guy that has been at the head of everything that they've done. Um, just Suns thoughts as they lap the field here. That team's so good. And uh, they're like my favorite five that I've seen all year is was their starting lineup when they rolled through Toronto. Uh, Paul, Booker, Bridges, Aiton, and Jay Crowder uh, just work beautifully in unison. And, and I, I like it's not... As long as he's back for the playoffs, it's not a thing I'm terribly worried about them finding again. I mean, there's probably a little bit of, uh, you know, rust that they want to, and, you know, getting into rhythm. But I'm so unworried about that team in the first round of the playoffs. Um, When you get beyond that, obviously, those are huge, imposing teams. But, I mean, that team has earned championship favorite status not overwhelming championship favorite status but you know and i think like you i that's my belief is he's their most important player if not their best or whatever you know you know what this stretch kind of reminds me of sam you mentioned they're they're 10 and 4 over this stretch and devin booker didn't play in all those games because he was in health and safety protocols here are devin booker's numbers over with since chris paul went out though he's averaging 28 5 and 7 He's 53 from the field, 41 on seven three-point attempts a game, and 93 from the line. So he's averaging 28 a game on way better than 50, 40, 90 shooting. And the Suns are winning like crazy. And and it it honestly reminds me of another time that Chris Paul got hurt. In uh, 2014, I think it was a wrist injury. And Blake Griffin ended up, they ended up having to run the offense through Blake Griffin. And they just ran it through Blake in the high post. And... Blake was unbelievable, and I think they went twelve and six or something like that during those. I don't know. It was eight years ago during those during those eighteen games that Chris Paul was out, and the Clippers totally just treaded water and treaded water in a way that kept them in the top three or four or whatever where they were that season in the West in a really good Western Conference. And Blake ended up finishing third in MVP voting. And I feel like this could and probably should have a similar effect when we look at Devin Booker for all NBA, the way that he has played with Chris Paul out where it's like, man, like, remember like a few years ago when people had legitimately earnest conversations about if Devin Booker was a winner, how stupid does that conversation sound now? Like the way that he has performed in these games as, and is not just as a scorer, by the way, the dude facilitates unbelievably well. He's a, really good passing shooting guard. Like, man, we should have cemented our opinions on Devin Booker a while back, but this this should be bringing it to a whole other level. Like, they, the way that they played without Chris Paul is, is more than just him, but it has a lot to do with him. Well, I was going to say, I'll completely endorse your perspective on Devin. And then to go even deeper there, the depth with this group doesn't get talked about enough. And again, it's just one game. But guys, last night against Sacramento, and I know we can take our shots at the Kings, but they were playing like a team that that near the end of the season really was sick and tired of losing. I thought they actually competed pretty well, and they were trying to get this W. The Suns roll into the game with no campaign, no Cam Johnson, 
no Chris Paul. They proceed to lose, make sure I can remember it all here. They lose DeAndre Ayton late in regulation, fouling out. Um, they then in overtime lose JaVale McGee and Devin Booker. I mean, oh, and Jay Crowder turns his ankle in the third quarter. All of those guys not available. What did I just name? Seven, eight guys. And they still pull this thing out. And that has been the norm. Monty Williams, their coach, of course, talked after the game about the silver lining of all that. I know we get a little too wrapped up in these subplots and what they might mean for the playoffs, but it it made sense to hear him talk about the fact that with Chris out, you're now running the offense not only through Devin, but there have been times, you know, a lot of campaign when he was out there, but even Cam Johnson and, you know, guys, Jay Crowder getting his hands on the ball. The the others, as Shaq likes to call them, I think are going to go – into the playoffs with maybe even a little more confidence than they would have otherwise because of CP being out. I saw, I mean, when I was in Phoenix, uh, however many, 10 days ago now, I saw Bismack Biombo change a game in the fourth quarter. Like yeah. this team yeah. is like so deep with professional dudes. Um, and Tory Craig. Yeah. There's a, there's another one. Uh, they, you know, the one thing that, concerns me is like how many different sort of ways can they win but if Aiton can can find a way to sort of hang with those smaller lineups that's certainly less of a concern concern um they they are loaded they're loaded you know covering a team that is very very thin in terms of depth uh i could certainly appreciate how many guys they can put into winning lineups uh in phoenix they're they're by far the title favorites in my mind. Like they're they're top two in offense and in defense. Like <laughs> well, we talk- I need to look this up, but honestly, when's the last time it's might have been the Warriors seventy three win year? Like nine a nine game gap on the second team in the league. You know, like we don't see that. It's crazy. They're they're by far. Like I, I don't know my opinion, they're by far the title favorites. Yeah, like, Booker. I, I think Booker has a first. And I know we don't want to have this whole conversation, but he has a first team All NBA case. Like after Jaw, after Jaw, uh, who I think has to be there because of Curry's injury. Like, could Booker be the second guard? I, I'm not saying I'd vote for him. Maybe it's Curry. Maybe and not maybe, only Curry. I mean, listen, not only Curry's injury. I mean, maybe Doncic. Yeah. Just the year in and of itself. I mean, Steph has had long stretches of non-Steph-like shooting. Uh, yeah. So I think he has a case for sure. I like that opinion. I, I don't even know <laughs> if it's my opinion, but I think it's like I think it's a case. Has, it's a discussion. You're just acting yeah. as a vessel for the opinion, so the opinion gets shot out into the universe. It's not necessarily, right. but he doesn't have to opinion. hear the haters if he. <laughs> You know, that's oh, I hear, I hear the haters enough. Yeah, All right. Anyway. No haters, Eric. Thank you for coming <laughs> on, man. Uh, shameless plug here. I enjoyed the hell out of talking to Giannis Antetokounmpo last week. That was another thing I put out today. Um, going down memory lane on the finals was was kind of crazy because he shared some more detail about how close he was to blowing his ACL or his MCL and telling the Bucks that he refused to wear a Tim Duncan-like brace. It's always, admittedly, and you guys know this as reporters, it's always fun when people we cover finally let their guard down and sometimes months later because this is the type of stuff they didn't want to share at the time. So a lot of that in the conversation with Giannis that is on our site. Make sure that you are reading Eric Kareen on all things Raptors. Eric, thank you for coming on and, and don't 
sell yourself short. You lived up to that Canadian friendliness. Well done. Well done. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I, I, I try. Uh, Fred, appreciate you, brother. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. We missed you last week. And thank you to all the listeners for coming on. Talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>